Okay, right. Well, welcome everybody into the latest episode of Before the Crowd. I'm sat here with, I'm going to call you the doctor of rock and roll, <laughs> Princess Maha. Wow. Thanks for coming. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. That's all right. So, um, for people who maybe haven't read the description yet, um, Maha is the lead singer and guitar player for The Cut, which is her band. Um, yeah. Just about to head out on the road on tour, which is kind of what this chat is about the perils of touring, what we can expect from it, how the climate has changed from maybe 20 years ago, these glamorous days of touring, <laughs> to the actual reality of it. Given, uh, obviously, this kind of worldwide pandemic of corona that we're going through right now, how it's affecting the music industry. Um, so yeah, hopefully this will be a great interview and touching on a lot, a lot of different topics. So yeah, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks. for coming on. Thank you. Um, so let's dive right in. Let's talk about your upcoming tour. Where are you going? Um, how yeah. did it come about? Tell us the story. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so it kind of came about kind of out of the blue, really, because I ended up getting a text off my on my birthday off a friend of mine that, that books Danko Jones mm -hmm. um, and just said, you know, they've got this UK and Ireland tour. Um, do you want to go? And I was just like, Wow, and then it was like, by the way, happy birthday. <laughs> it just happened to be my birthday, but... Um, oh, that's nice. I was like, of course, you know, Danko Jones is like a massive Canadian artist. And um, also with quite a similar setup to what we're doing with The Cut, because, you know, he is the, the artist and then he's got a trio. So again, like, it's the same, you know, The Cut is my solo project and we play as a trio. So it was like, it couldn't really be a, a better matchup, to be honest. Um, but, but yeah, like, heading out... Um, yeah, basically nine UK dates starting from the 17th. Okay, wow, so really soon. Yeah. It's heading up. <laughs> um, is this the first tour you've done as The Cut with this current trio? Uh, no, no, I mean, it's um, it's been quite a few. I mean, we, we have done quite a lot of touring between, you know, 2016, like quite long ones every year, mm. um, and quite a few countries as well. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, but it's the first time that we get to support a bigger act, which is massive. Right, okay. So that obviously means like playing bigger venues, yeah. um, big more exposure to different crowds who maybe like Canadian fans who haven't heard your music before and yeah. then it's showcasing yourself to this brand new range of fans, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, can't wait for that really because it is it is a different crowd, but I guess like if you listen to Dango Jones and then you listen to ours, you can, you can probably see that maybe their guys are going to like what we do. We know. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can just get out there and just see. I guess like... If you were going to categorise your music, what sort of genre would you say it falls into? Maybe for people who are listening who haven't listened to The Cut yet. Yeah, I guess like it's definitely rock. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny actually because I use this um, kind of technology analyzer to analyse the genre of your music. Because I don't know, oh. like some people say we're metal, some people say we're rock, but I guess because it's screaming. Um, and it actually came up like 50-50 rock and metal, which is weird. Okay. Um, but yeah. <laughs> like legitimately 50-50. <laughs> yeah. Well, with most songs, I mean, but that's like just the technology so I can mess around as well. It said our lyrics were negative too, which I can't understand that. But oh. anyway, that's just that technology is not what I think. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> a lot of the time I would say that we're quite 90s influenced grunge. Okay, cool. So kind of just going off the back of that then, because you mentioned screaming. So obviously as the vocalist... Being yeah. out on tour, how do you look after your voice to make sure you can perform at the same level from the first day of the tour right until the last date of the tour? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, vocal warm-ups help. I never really got into that, unfortunately, because I didn't, you know, take any formal training. But uh, I have a great vocal coach um, who I've had a couple of sessions with uh, called Melissa Cross. She's brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, and she does all the Zen of screaming. I mean, I kind of went to her because, you know, 
um, just to get the extra boost for the vocals. And then also uh, I was using lots of Vocal Zone, okay. um, who I ended up reaching out to and getting an endorsement with. So you have a little bit uh, the vocal tablets to yeah. lozenges. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. true. And they sent me loads of stuff, so they're actually really cool guys. Mm. That's really cool. Have you ever been a fan of um, was it the Manuka honey that a lot oh, of vocalists yeah. use, like yeah. the, what like the twenty pound pot of honey? <laughs> oh wow. Well, I mean, just any any honey. It doesn't have to be like a, an expensive honey, but honey is good for your vocal too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know like quite a few vocalists who they take a lot of precautions and um, don't have dairy at all, or oh, certainly right. not before a show because apparently like it really affects their voice. You're gonna make me paranoid now. Okay. Is that not <laughs> something you really bother with or adhere to? Um. No, I mean, yeah, I guess that maybe I do it on a subconscious level okay. without knowing, but um, yeah, I don't normally do that. And plus when you're on tour, sometimes you don't even get a chance to think about what you're going to eat anyway, so right. you're just kind of traveling and, and doing that more than the other bit. But so, yeah, sure, maybe in the future I could knock that on the head and, <laughs> and see, but like, I'm trying to reduce dairy anyway, just because of the impact of it on the environment okay great yeah yeah so as so you just said there like sometimes when you're on tour you don't know what you're going to eat next how yeah. do you think you guys as a band balance that level of self-care yeah whilst you're on the road well i mean it's incredibly difficult because like the the high bit is obviously the shows mm. hanging out with everyone that's come to see you seeing friends i mean that's the high um but yeah on the road there is like some difficult times as well particularly with long travels you know maybe like taking something like a DS or a book so that, you know, when there is downtime, it's not more like you're just in a venue where the only thing you can do is drink, you know, it's kind of about balancing and, you know, trying not to just eat fast food every single day or, right, yeah. Um, yeah, or basically, you know, drink too much and, and do all that. So yeah, there is a bit of a balance to be had with it. It's really difficult. And so my experiences with touring is I've always found the the bands I played in at least that you will maybe get one or two people in the band who are like really heavy drinkers and they kind of latch onto each other and really party hard and then the other half of the band is maybe like no I'm not doing that because you do you know what I mean? Mm. I mean like we're a trio so it doesn't really work like that for yeah, us. Yeah, of course. But I mean I have to say you know we know when we can let loose and when not and when you can't. Yeah, yeah I mean. Yeah, definitely. I guess that in the earlier days, I probably had less control over that because, you know, sometimes you don't know why you're drinking a lot. And it might be because uh, feelings about the show, maybe, you know, something happened before. And you've got to actually be able to separate that in order to just make sure you have a good time and focus on the show. And if you are going to drink, then you just drink afterwards and like know your limit. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's really good to have that awareness. Right, okay, welcome everybody into the latest episode of Before the Crowd. I'm joined this week by Natalie Miranda. Welcome to the show. Thank you, thanks for having me. That's a great, it's a pleasure. It's, uh, it's been really nice to, to kind of meet you uh, <laughs> virtually online and do this because I've been following you on Instagram now. Well, we've been following each other for, uh, I, I don't know, it seems like however long. Time, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and it's been really cool to sort of see, like watching an artist like yourself and go kind of, you know, through the different stages of their career. Um, but you've just brought out your single Poltergeist. Uh, so Poltergeist came out in March this year, just before lockdown. Um, yeah, it seems like ages ago now, but yeah, it's, it seems to have sort of, uh, I think it's doing all right. I think people are liking it. Um, so yeah, and I'm currently, what well, I'm working on releasing a new one very soon. It's being mastered at the moment. So. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Can you can you tell us a little bit about the new single that's coming out? Or is it, is it top secret? Uh, no, not really. Um, it's, it's called Catch 22. Um, it's nothing to do with the book or anything like that. <laughs> um, but it's it's a different style. It's kind of it was kind of inspired more of sort of from like I'm gonna say blues and people are gonna expect a blues song, but it's not. It's just like the old kind of blues bands, maybe like like Free, that kind of base their songs on blues rhythms and, and structures and things like that. But it's it's a pop song ultimately, but it's just got me in it. So. It, you know, it's got like a soul vibe, a blues vibe, and it's different to Poltergeist. It's different to Red Light that I released a few years ago. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm excited about it. And we shot the video yesterday, it took the whole day, and it was so hot and really, really hard shoot. But <laughs> it's finished, so yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So what, what made you go in the direction of, of having kind of that blues in, influence in your music? I, for this new song, I just wanted to do something different to the others, the others were just distinctly pop tracks in their production and and everything. And I, I'm inspired by old school blues and soul and rock. I love that kind of that kind of vibe. Um, I'm not really. I love pop music. I love to dance to it and sing to it. But I, I'm not really a kind of pop sort of girl <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> so I just wanted to kind of put that into one of my songs and just put it out there and see what happens. <laughs> Nice, that's pretty cool. It's, yeah, I guess it's good to go in those different directions as well because like having all those different in influences and being able to bring it to the forefront of your music and yeah. allowing your music to, to change and adapt, I think is really important. Yeah. Um, but um, I guess like what I was going to ask you then, um, kind of going back to Poltergeist a little bit, um, what, what was the, uh, the meaning behind the lyrics to that song? Um, so it was, it, it wasn't actually anything I've been through. I, it was literally inspired by the word poltergeist. I just thought that's oh, a really interesting word and it conjures up so many different things in people's heads. So I just kind of put it into the context of a guy that just keeps coming and going in and out of someone's life and mm. turning her world upside down like poltergeist do kind of thing. So, um, and I wanted to make it kind of dark and kind of creepy. So the, the video is, is quite creepy. Um, so that's 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 the story behind it, really. Yeah, I um, I watched the video and it's it's super minimalist because it's for anyone who hasn't seen it. Like you're you're in the dark room, you're kind of on the floor for a lot of it, and you've got like the single light bulb yeah. above your head and it's flickering a little bit. And is that sort of to, like you said, imitate like if it was a poltergeist or? So the the video was shot literally in a closet. It's, it was a tiny little closet. It's not a room, yeah, a tiny closet. Um, and we just painted it black. And um, yeah, the idea for my sort of view of that was that it was like the girl's mind. So mm. she she's just going crazy because she doesn't know whether she's coming or going. And, you know, it's just really upsetting for her. And, and the light was just to add a little bit of drama to it. And, you know, because like you said, we wanted to keep it minimalist. 
but it had a, it was all a, had a great effect on the video in the end so yeah, yeah. I'm, really, I'm really happy with it it was on a budget so <laughs> it, you know but it, it genuinely doesn't look like it's on a budget because you know the way you've shot it the cameras the lighting and it's not just like sometimes you see a music video and it's sort of one shot the whole time but you, you're yeah. it from different angles and yeah it doesn't look like a budget video it looks great oh thank you <laughs> Right. So did you write the, the music behind Poltergeist as well? Or how does your songwriting process work? So I generally write lyrics and melodies. And um, and actually my writing partner is my husband. So he goes away and writes, the, the, puts the whole track together and does the production as well. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, we kind of work very well like that. Um, I I just find it easier to, to write top lines. They just come really easy to me. And I just let the experts put the kind of structured together <laughs> <laughs> right is it um is it challenging kind of working with with your husband and someone you're so close to obviously having a personal relationship and then a professional one of their there's sometimes differences um there are sometimes differences i mean we we've been writing together for a really long time um but you know sometimes he'll insist on something and i'll insist on something and then like we talk about it but at the end of the day like it's my name going out there so i usually <laughs> get my way right. you get your way I, yeah but like i you know i'm always happy to listen to positive criticism for sure <laughs>
joining me here is an old friend from a few years ago, uh, which is Alex Leo. So, Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, mate. How you doing? Yeah, good, man. Good. It's um, really glad I've been able to have you on this episode, actually. So for, um, for people listening at home, Alex and I used to gig and play together uh, sort of all over the shop, really, a few years ago. And it, I guess I was, I think I was about 17 when I joined your band and it was like my first exposure to like real gigging and clubs and and the whole scene really that's it yeah i mean like a lot of my friends actually it takes me a minute nowadays to kind of work out try and remember like where i've met most of my friends and i was trying to i was trying to think where it was that i'd met that i'd first met you was it we were were you at college were we at what's the college together i can't remember yeah it was because um one of the max one of the tutors there i remember he he heard me practicing and he knew you were in need of a drummer. And that so he just it. kind of connected us. Like, I think he that pulled me out of a lesson one day. Max Alexander, that's it. Yeah. Max, Maxi boy. It, yeah. That's it's coming back to me now. That's that's how the first connect happened, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I, I seem to remember it quite vividly. I think it was just because I was, you guys were like a slightly older band. Because you were all like 20, 21, early 20s. Yeah. And I, because I could have... So old. <laughs> Well, me and my friends. Fucking hell, I wish I were 20 again now, I tell you. How old are you now? Uh, I turned 27 in like two weeks' time. It's, okay. uh, it seems to have shot past, mate, honestly. Weird. How are you feeling about it? Um, okay, I've made it to the 27 Club, just about, if, if I get there. <laughs> I've, got, I've got two weeks to ruin that. But um, no, yeah, it's all right, isn't it? It's just another, another day. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it was, for me, when we started playing and doing all those shows together, it was such a great experience because... Like I was 17 and couldn't really play in any of those clubs sort of legally or without ID, which I didn't have at that time. So playing with a band who was slightly older meant I got to go into these venues. That's it. That <laughs> I couldn't normally in. play in. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of nice. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. I, uh, I wouldn't want to embarrass you on your own podcast, but it's funny your name coming up in conversation a few weeks back, actually. We were, we were talking about that one night we played a show in Birmingham when we came back to um we came back to mine and we got drunk on Jack Daniels, <laughs> do you remember and you were like i think james like escort, had to like help you down the hallway numerous times to, uh, <laughs> to find your way to the bathroom after a few many that, that yeah. was um that was um i think it was like your dad's fault because he like gave me jim bean and i had like no oh, idea what it. it was that was it yeah yeah he kind of yeah um, yeah got you I drunk didn't he I think influence. your mum was kind of annoyed at him because she was Probably. like, oh my God, like you can't, <laughs> he's staying in our house. Yeah, yeah. Because like you say, we, we were a couple of years older, so we kind of, you know, it's easy to forget, isn't it, once you start gigging together um, at that age. But yeah, now nah, good times. We had some good good fun, didn't we? Are you still uh, in touch or playing with any of the other guys in the band? Um, so me and James still, um, although we've kind of, had sort of a hiatus um, on our little production duo of late um, just because we kind of worked solidly really since um, since around the time we'd met so it's you know and even before then we, you know we'd been pushing on like a decade's worth of confinement in that little studio shed of ours and uh, I think it kind of reared its head just around the time that I was um, making plans to go to New York we kind of I know James wanted to pull off into slightly different writing directions and have, have a bit of headspace. So, um, yeah, we, we keep in touch all the time just as mates, but we haven't worked together for a good, probably a, a good six or seven months now, but we still do have like the garden shed. That's the famous little studio shed. Um, 
we still uh, co-own um, a lot of musical gear together. So we're still we're still musical compadres, but we just haven't um, done anything together. But the rest of the band, they've all um, from the time we played together, they've all kind of moved on and done done their own things. I don't know whether Kurt's still playing. The last time I saw Kurt was um, well, I've seen him briefly just for a year since. But the last time we played together was his mum's sixtieth, I think. I think it was a 60th. He, he dragged us up and we did like a jam band thing. That's the last time I played with Kurt. Um, I don't think he plays that much anymore, to be honest. Um, okay. I, think he's, I think he stepped off into the real world um, and got himself, got himself a real wage. Um, and I think Sam... <laughs> um, who else? Who else was in the band at that time? I don't know. We went through a few players, didn't we? I mean, like, you play... Obviously, you drums. We had James... Kurt bass. I think I, w- I was exclusively with when James was on guitar and, and Kurt played bass. That's it. Yeah. I think we had. Oh no, Josh came and played. Oh yeah. Josh, Josh Taylor bass. played a few gigs with us, That's and right. he played. Um, I think he played bass for a couple, maybe when Kurt mm. could make some shows, and then I think he just played, kind of guest played some he keys. Played, he played some keys as well, didn't he? At the uh, one famous gig we did at the uh, the infamous Yardbird. It's no longer it's no longer with us. That, that um the best venue in Birmingham it used to be. But uh, is that the Yardbird isn't there anymore? No, it's all gone because they've just they've redeveloped the whole of Birmingham City Centre now. But um yeah, it um it got knocked down when they when they kind of restructured that whole area. Um so yeah, they uh it's no longer there, which is weird. But um yeah, it was a great venue. I mean it's a very famous jazz venue, wasn't it, predominantly? Mm. Um, because I remember a few people being quite impressed with your kit because it, it's very like jazzy that bar used to be there's loads of and um, yeah man god I don't know where the time goes it's weird thinking about <laughs> back on it all now it's just like what it feels like yesterday once you start delving into memory banks but yeah I know it's funny just talking to you and like it starts opening it up a little bit but I yeah. guess kind of moving with the present man where's, where's your music yeah. heading at the moment and what are you working on uh, so most recently, I mean, before this, the big lockdown happened, um, I just recently returned from, from New York, actually. I'd spent five weeks out there working with um, some incredible musicians based out of Brooklyn. Um, and it's kind of a weird, it's quite a funny story how the whole thing came about, really. It was, uh, so, you know, there's so far sessions that, that, that float around they're kind of worldwide now aren't they they're kind of the internet's saturated with uh with youtube videos of of um good quality musicians playing stuff but yeah anyway um i did one of those um for a london session i think it was and it must have just popped up on the instagram feed and around the same time there's a guy in new york um a guy called quinn devlin um who's a great musician as well but he'd, he'd done a video around the same time. And I think we just, we just got hashtagged and something together. And he, he must have stumbled across my video like organically on Instagram. And uh, he just reached out um, showing some interest about like my music and what my plans were and stuff. And we just kind of basically started like a pen pal Instagram friendship thing. It was really weird. But uh, over the course of sort of three or four months, um, we started realizing that like, um, I was in a place of kind of, 
I was just a bit lost musically, like creatively. I felt like everything that I'd worked up to up until that point and the whole progression that I'd gone through from the years of obviously meeting you and being at college and then going to university and being like a career driven musician, you kind of get to a point where it's, it's really easy to, you know, to get to sort of your mid twenties and think like, like shit, what, you know, what direction am I going in? And I just totally felt like, creatively at a real crossroads didn't really know what to do didn't really feel um like i'd like my sound is representative of where it, what the direction i wanted to go in and so i was kind of expressing all of this to quinn and um he just said look mate i've got you know i've got a bunch of really great people out here we've 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 run a studio together and we all chip in on rent and stuff and we run this studio out in brooklyn and I'm pretty sure if I had a discussion and showed some of the demos to some of the guys, we'd be able to do a really good rate because we know you're going to travel far and we could, we could make it happen. You know, you could come and sofa surf with us for a few weeks and, and we'll get some ideas down and hopefully it will reinvigorate some inspiration. And so I started thinking about it and thought, yeah, you know, this could be a real, a really good opportunity, but I wasn't sure how much it was going to cost. And so then they came back with a quote and I was like, you know, being an indie musician, cost is always, always a, a, a big factor um mm. i guess even when you're on big labels it's still a factor but um when it's your own back pocket it's definitely anyway we were... yeah of course <laughs> of course so we, you know i looked at it and made it work and so i i think that was in may time so um being the spontaneous person i tend to be quite impulsive i, I wanted to just vet that it was all going to be legit because obviously i'd only met this guy on the internet um a few short moments so i uh i flew out for four days in june i just booked a flight and flew out to see him to see if it was like if i was going to be catfished or not or if it was going to be like the real deal do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah um and i so i flew out and everything checked out i couldn't you know i couldn't have landed on i couldn't have landed on more of a gold mine in terms of the the the, the community and the people and the vibrance of culture and um and the knowledge of you know the musical brains in the room were just it was just yeah and straight away within those like i think i was there for like just it worked out for just over 48 hours or something i was there and i, I just came back like jet lagged but buzzing because i just it was such a quick visit i hadn't even adjusted to the time zone but it was just like an injection of the, exactly the kind of thing that i needed so i came back then and we made a pact so i said right i need to just work solidly as a working musician i just need i need like a couple of months to get the funds together. So, um, I just rejoined, I just did everything I could to make the cash. So just, you know, did all the function stuff, uh, all my mm. usual, all my usual sort of things that, that are away from my original material, all the function gigs, corporate gigs, weddings, all that malarkey as I'm sure you well acquainted. <laughs> got a paper rent somehow. That's it, mate. So got, got, got it, got it together and, uh, got out there. I went out there in, um, October, and was out there for, yeah, for five weeks, um, just kind of living as cheaply as I could. Luckily, all the guys that were out there let me crash with them. So that was a great save on cash and a great way to get to know them all. Um, and the little studio was called Dodge 112, um, which is named after the street and the where it is, the, the number. Um, nice. It's a great little studio. It's above an old... Um, above an old what it still is a working uh pest control unit so like you got the little <laughs> it looks like a little ghostbusters wagon like parked underneath and then in the attic was this uh was this 
um, unit that they turn into a little studio and Sahil, the, the main producer, um, he's kind of the, he was kind of the catalyst for it all. Really. He was like the Fagin of all these musicians. He just would, you know, he, he just had all these great people that would gravitate towards him. And he was able between him and Quinn, they were able to call, call upon a, a band, um, to come and help me kind of flesh out some of these arrangements and some of these sounds. And we basically spent first couple of weeks just getting to know each other and working it all out solidly. But, um, to be honest, it came together really quickly and we tracked, we tracked the main body of the work all live, all in the room. So I was in the booth and everyone was kind of, um, because they're all, they're all jazz. Most of the guys were all, um, jazz students at Columbia. So they're all like really just tasteful players that know how to really get a good sound, um, mm. in a quiet room. You know, they're not about playing loud. It's all about dynamic and getting it sitting. So, I mean, with that, it was great because we could all communicate in the room and, and get a really nice vibe um, and capture like a really organic, natural sound, which I feel listening back now, now it's all mixed and kind of, we're just waiting for it to be mastered at the moment. Um, but yeah, I feel really proud of it. And I, th I feel like it was such a leap of faith to go out there. Um, and I really was really unsure whether it was even going to pay off because um, it was kind of a whim, but it, it turned out, it turned out to be, one of the best things I think I've ever done. I've made some great friends out there and, and I feel kind of musically re-energized. Nice. Um, that's cool. So yeah, that's kind of the story. It's a bit long winded, but. Yeah. No, it's good. And it's really good to hear because I think a lot of the times when, you know, you can go to a new music scene or even if you're just in a new city for a night and you get to meet the local bands or whatever. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they're, you know, they're not that friendly or not that nice. They sort of see you as a threat. So it's great that you got to go to, you know, across the ocean, across the pond, as it were, and just find a really cool, like close knit system yeah, of musicians. It, it, was, it was unreal. Yeah. Um, you're absolutely right. Like some places you go, you do get that vibe. There's a bit of a competition, a bit of a standoff, but honestly, Brooklyn, uh, maybe I just hit lucky with the people that I was surrounding myself with, but um, every person that I met who was friends of friends or friends and we'd go to gigs or parties or whatever, like everyone was so accommodating and maybe it was because I was the foreigner and they wanted to like be a good host or whatever, but it was just, I never got that vibe once everyone was so engaging and really passionate about what everyone else's projects and what they're all up to. And it was a real scene. And to be honest, like I did feel a little bit like deflated when I came home. It took, it took a while to get used to it again because I kind of felt like I got I landed back home and I just thought, shit, like I just got inserted into a, into like a, into a scene, into a, a, a ready-made like vibe where everyone was kind of on this frequency together. And I kind of came home and I was like, I just I don't, I don't feel like I was thinking of who I could turn to, to like, where's my scene kind of thing? Like, where's my scene back here? And I just thought because I've dipped in and out of so many different scenarios in the, in the UK, like I kind of felt a little bit lonely almost. It's like a little bit mm -hmm. like, Oh, like I know there's a ton of really great people that I can rely on as friends and musicians and everything else to, to make things happen here. But there wasn't the same buzz that there seemed to be there. I don't know whether it's because everyone was living on top of each other and a bit like, you know, if I'd moved, cause I never made the move to London, maybe I should have done that and whatever else, but I've been spending a lot more time in Bristol cause my brother's down there and there's a really great scene that I've been getting involved with there. And maybe, mm. maybe that, maybe that was my golden ticket. Like maybe I should have moved to a big city at a certain time, but I guess everyone's 
the moral is everyone's path is is different isn't it like everyone's career path is is different but it definitely took some adjustment um but then having said that you know um it, it i don't think it's hindered me as such but it was just it was a great experience to have basically is what i'm getting at <laughs> No, definitely. And it, it's really weird. And don't ask me why this stuck with me. But I always remember you saying to me once years ago, when I was, I think I told you, I was like, oh, hey, man, like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be around to do these shows anymore, because I'm going to be moving to London, I'm going to go study. And you were saying, like, you know, the only thing with London is, or any major city, is it bottlenecks? And I always remember that expression kind of stayed with me. And it's so true, because you can be like this, um, yeah, amazing guitar player, amazing bass player in your hometown or surrounding yeah. towns and you really stand out, but you go to a big city and there's guys who have got like 20, 30 years experience on you who can yeah. just shed all over you. Maybe it's a bit different as a singer songwriter because you have your own sound that is very unique to you. Like no one has your voice. True. But there is still definitely some, some similarities in that though. Um, if, if nothing else, just the attitude, I guess. But like, you know, as the years have gone by, I've spent more time in those cities. And like, I mean, just before this happened, I was in London kind of more than I'd ever been. And, uh, and like, yeah, I was starting to really see the benefit of being amongst it. And if you can, you know, if you can hold your own, um, you know, and you're willing to, to work hard, which you, you know, since, since I, I met you, I knew that you were one of those people that were just very driven about your instrument and very, driven to make it not just a passion but you know it, it really was your life and it is your life now um mm. you know i knew that somewhere like london would be the perfect habitat for someone like you because um you know those types of places with those types of attitudes you can thrive because a little bit of that a little bit of competition is obviously always good it's always good to be around people and obviously you're meeting people all the time that are always trying to push themselves too. And that old saying, I forget the exact saying, but about surrounding yourself with, with, with people that are kind of almost better than you. Cause it just, it, it really does elevate your, you know, you do become who you surround yourself with. I'm a massive believer in that. Um, mm. You know, when I went out to New York, I, I definitely felt like the worst musician in the room. Um, but weirdly, I loved the fact that that I had, I loved that, that feeling it, it, it made me feel so, weirdly empowered like I, I wanted to just learn more and like about all aspects of of the process you know even though I'd been doing it 10 years there was things that I just didn't know or I wasn't aware of um just by looking at these guys that just live and breathe it and and musically speaking were just so intelligent and so tasteful um it just really inspired me to and you know so and I came away from that feeling like, well, that's the, that's the bar now. That's the level. So like, like the, the level has now gone from, I've plat, you know, I'd been in this weird state of plateauing, like not really knowing where this next stage is. And now like the, the level's been, the threshold's been set again. So now it's like, you know, I feel like there's another bar that I need to reach. And I think that's how you get better as a musician, isn't it? Is it always oh, definitely surround yourself with those people. And if you're in places like London, um, and the and you know Bristol is another great place for it too, mm. um, you know just surround yourself with with great players and and just good people in general that are willing to give advice and stuff. It's only going to make you a better person and player.
I know we've almost touched on it a little bit, but what would you kind of say your your kind of main influences were and are currently as an artist? As in other artists or? Um, yeah, I mean, other artists or maybe inspirational people or, yeah. Yeah. So someone asked me this the other day. They asked me to write an article of my three top women or top women that have inspired me. And I couldn't think... Honestly, I could not think, because all, all I can think of is that there's an artist, I love Ashley Monroe. I don't know if you know her. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You'll know, you'll know that because of me. I just remembered, yeah. Um, I love her, and I think my music is the way my music is because of her. Like, the, the way, like, when I, when, I in, when I found her music, you're laughing because you know. I feel like I, I found my place in, in music and country music and all that kind of stuff. But other than that, 
I don't know. My mum, I mean, I love my mum and I'm very similar to her. My friends, like, okay. honestly, like someone asked me to write it only last week and I, I struggled. I really, really struggled to um, just find three. Like I love Julie Andrews and how kind she is and how like Dolly, the way <laughs> she lives her life. But then I just go to think, I don't know how she lives a life. This could all be a lie. <laughs> right, yeah. But the, the, way, the, way she, the way she is in the media and the way she holds herself in the industry and how she puts her music out and how she does good for others. I mean, if, if, if we're just talking about artistry here and me and my music career, I definitely, I'd want to follow in her footsteps. Mm. Just as a person, as a musician, as a writer, as a vocalist. Yeah. Like, for sure. It's great. I think it's interesting as well because it's, I, I kind of like will often ask this in a podcast as a kind of sort of closing question to really get to the root of, uh, of people's music. But I think you're the first person who's ever given such a, a holistic and heartfelt response as to say, you know, my mom, my family, my friends. Mm. Um, and I think that probably relates to the genre and, and the style of your music as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I try to be an honest person. I think I get, I get very inspired by like if someone if someone says to me like this is a silly example but if they're like oh I watched Hercules today I'd be like oh I want to watch Hercules now like <laughs> I, I, I get very like inspired by other people and like it like I take things in mm-hmm. like it's I'm, I'm very I'm very easy going and I take things in like if mom, if my mum is like do you want a cup of coffee I'd be like yeah I'll have a cup of coffee it's my, <laughs> I not one but I'll just have it do you know what I mean? Just silly things like that. But I find it's it hard to really inspired by people who I don't know. Because okay. I think at the end of the day, I just want to be a good person. Mm. Like, yeah, of course I want to do music and I want to be successful. But like we, like we just discussed, I just want to be happy. And Yeah, it's you know? the main thing, isn't it? Um, yeah. I, I had to laugh when you spoke about Ashley Monroe. because. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Well, you put me onto, on, onto her for a start, and I think I, I can pretty much sort of attest my love of country music, probably from really starting to play drums with you and sort of going oh, from there. Oh, really? Yeah, I and I think that. it set me on a path, which was great. But I, the reason I was laughing, because I, I was listening earlier today, actually, to an Ashley Monroe song. Uh, you, you probably already know it, Monroe Suede. Yeah, I uh, love it. And as soon as you said about um, writing about a bank robbery, and I just thought of you wow. and Ashley Moran as outlaw. Yeah. <laughs> that song is, she is such a cool songwriter, isn't she? Mm, like, yeah. Oh. Next time she's over in London, you can come and see her with me. Because she puts on a great show as well. She's just so honest and so herself. But, um, yeah. I, th- I, I, I love how I said that. that you can come and see her with me. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think that sounds like an amazing idea. Let's let's yeah. go and see Ashley Monroe when she comes yeah. back. Definitely, definitely. Nice one. Oh, I love that. That honestly, that makes me so happy. That because oh, thank you for telling me that as well. Thank you. No, it's all right. Because of that, because that. No, no, no. But you're you're really welcome. It's um, then it's very heartfelt and very truthful. I I think it, it genuinely did. Um, yeah. I I guess kind of just as we wrap up now. I just wanted to put it over to you just for a chance to, I, I'm going to put like a link in the, um, in the description and maybe we can, we can play one of the songs as well. But if you want to plug your socials now, 
Uh, tell us where we can find the single, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, the single, along with all my other music, is everywhere. So it's on Spotify, um, Amazon, Apple Music, all under Shannon Hines, H-Y-N-E-S, really easy. Um, I'm on Facebook, which is Shannon Hines Music. And then Twitter, Instagram is S underscore Hines Music. That underscore is the bane of my life. <laughs> I hate it. Um, but I can't find anything else. So yeah, S underscore Heinz music. And That's I'm, amazing. Go and join the fun. Is there a Shannon Heinz somewhere who is like, you know, just someone who's got like 10 followers and doesn't have to use the oh, underscore? Don't get me going. <laughs> okay. I love it. You probably like stalked her founder. Yeah, I took the underscore out, but then it's like Shines music and it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> So I had to have the underscore in it. So eventually, eventually I'll try and buy it off whoever's got it. But it's a good idea. Now, <laughs> nice. Um, on that note, Shannon, thanks for being a really open and honest um, interview and part of this episode. I really appreciate it. So thank you so much. Thank you.